I'm going to turn my mic on now. So happy Reformation Day. You're like, I don't even know how to respond to that, Pastor. Yay! You know, I get it. Okay. You know, one of the things that Luther said um, that I think synopsized, I don't even know if that's a word, but I just want to use it. Synopsized. There you go. Um, the whole Reformation, what he stood for, what he was trying to, to get out there, it, it wasn't just against the abuses of the Catholic Church at the time, but he said, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia. It's Latin. It just means only scripture, only faith, only grace. And those are what the church stands on. And he said, that's, that's where the power comes from. If it's only Scripture, that means you hold to the truth of Scripture. Because when you lose the truth of Scripture, you lose the power. And it's, and it's only grace, which means it comes through humility, not through demanding or, or I deserve this or that, but it comes through humility, approaching your God. And it's only through faith, which means that I actually trust the stuff that he said, right? That that's where the power comes from. And it changed the world, and it changed the church, and it changed people's lives, and it was incredible. I, I also was thinking about another phrase. It's from the Truth Project, and I just love the phrase. And it says, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Because Luther did. Do you really believe that there's power in God? Because essentially, as we go through this series and looking at the different attributes of God, it, it's one thing to know them, right? And intellectually, we get that God knows everything. We, we get that, um, that, he, that he sees everything, that he's everywhere, uh, that he has power. But when you really look at each one of those qualities, if you really believed it was true, as we've seen in the first two sermons, it necessarily changes our life for the better. Today, I want to take a look at this attribute of power then, because it's just one of the most amazing things about God. It's just his, his unending power. And I, and I guess I was thinking about power, and I came across this illustration just as a, a neat way to look at it. Um, the power of the sun produces more energy in one second than has been used in the whole history of the world. I, I don't know why I'm fascinated by that, but I just think that's cool. Um, that in one second, it's, it's used more energy, or it produces more energy than we've ever used. And at its current rate, it will be able to burn for another 30 billion years. I don't know how they assess that, but I was just thinking that's a lot of seconds, and that's a lot of energy, and it's a lot of power. But even as you look at it, it, it pales in comparison to the creator who made the sun. It's not even the same league how much power God has. In fact, in Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah is talking about this. And he says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And then he says, nothing is too hard for you. And so I'll just ask you, do you really believe that that is true? I mean, in a way that you incorporate into your life, in a way that you incorporated that into your prayers. Because if we really believed that it was true, we would pray a lot more than we do. And we would keep on praying, know that God not only hears us, but has the ability to transform things in our life, relationships that have gone wrong, things in our health that aren't working, things at work that aren't working. We would give him the things that we need to be changed in this life, and we would see miracles. Nothing is too hard for you, he says. You know, so what we're talking about today is something that the theologians have been talking about for a while, and they call it the omnipotence of God. And that just means that God is almighty that he has unlimited power, that he never gets tired, that he never gets frustrated, that everything he does, he does easily, that nothing is too hard for him or too difficult for him. And that should be important to us because what it shares with us, just in a, in a microcosm way, is that it's just as easy for him to create the universe as it is for a, him to answer our prayers and, and that both are easy in his sight. In Luke, he says that all things are possible with God. Do you believe that? So today I want to take a look at how do we 
assimilate this power of God into our lives? How do we get more of God's power in our lives so that we start seeing miracles happen, so that we start seeing relationships transformed and reconciled, so that we start seeing his power manifest? I want to take a look at that, but as we do, I want to also take a look at this. I think there's a lot of evidence of God's power, and I I just want to talk about that briefly because I think a natural place to talk about some of the evidence of God's power is in creation. Creation has been a silent witness to God's power throughout the years. It testifies testifies to that extent in Scripture. I mean, this mountain behind St. Mark, I think it's over there. I'm directionally challenged a little bit. That's why I love GPS. But the, the mountain that we see as we go down the road— this way, yeah. As we go down the road, right? Every time you pull into our parking lot, you see this amazing mountain behind us. And it's just one of, I don't know how many mountains there are, thousands that he's made on this earth. And he, and he uniquely crafted that and put it together. And it's there on purpose. And we get to be part of it or around it. And, and that's what scripture says in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. It says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. They are marvelous display of his craftsmanship. Day and night, they keep telling about God. And yet, how often do we pull into the parking lot and just never think about God's handiwork as we look at the mountain or as we look at anything, to be honest? I I think we so marginalize all the things that we see, we take them for such granted that nothing impresses us anymore. Unless we're on the ski slopes and on a ski lift or something and looking down at the mountains. And I just remember in Tahoe looking down, seeing the lake and just being, wow, this is really cool. God, you did good, you know. Or being by the, the ocean. The ocean is a powerful thing for me. And just seeing the, the waves kind of come in and just thinking about just how, how incredible. Hey, you look at the vastness of the ocean, just thinking about how incredible God is. And then all the stuff that's living in it. And, or sometimes you're in the Grand Canyon the last time, I, just see all, all the stars that you don't see in Phoenix. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's like five when you look at on my back, in my backyard, but there's a whole bunch more than that. And, and I think we get so desensitized, partly because we're always looking at our phones now, but we get so desensitized as to the wonder around us that I don't know if it testifies in the same way because we just don't notice. But the Bible says the universe was created at God's command, that every moment creation is a witness to the fact that God is not only real but powerful that he spoke it into existence. I don't know, have you ever thought about that? He said, let there be light, and there was light. God said one day, water, and all of a sudden there was oceans and rivers and lakes. God said, fish, and the oceans were filled with fish. He said, vegetation, and all of a sudden there was all kinds of vegetation on the earth. He said, stars, and the universe was filled with stars. That's what I call power. He spoke the world into existence. And just to show you how hard this would be, it'd be like me saying Diet Coke, and all of a sudden it appeared. But I don't like how bad Diet Coke is for me. So I said, a Diet Coke that isn't bad for me. Bam, there it would be. And that's how hard it would be, just me talking about it, just me saying it. There's incredible power in God. Or again, look at the life of Jesus. In his own life, he displayed the power of God again and again and again. He had power over nature. He calmed the storms. He told the waves to sit down and be quiet. The wind and the waves both, and they did. It was a huge storm. Be quiet, and they stilled. He spoke to a tree, and it withered. Another time he turned water into wine. He had power over nature. He had power over illness and death, too. He healed the blind and the sick and the lame and the diseased. He raised people from the dead, even himself. He had power over the devil. One time he spoke to a bunch of demons that were in a man, and he said, Go into this group of pigs, and they did. In fact, I was thinking about this, probably the original deviled ham, right? Right? Okay, there we go. It's as good as it gets today right there. Okay, but the most amazing thing to me out of all this stuff is this. 
But God wants to share this power with us, that he wants to do things in our life that transform it, that change it, that make it better. In Ephesians 1.20, it says this, Paul's talking, he says, I pray, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. Anyone want help in this life? I do. God has the power to help us if we trust in him. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, he said, and I think that's just incredible, mind-blowing for me. But the fact is, is that God's power in our life is not all as automatic as it seems like it should be, right? In fact, I would say that most Christians do not have God's power in their life in any discernible fashion. So I think the question becomes, how do we assimilate this power more and more into our life? I think Luther had a, a, a snapshot of what that looks like, clinging to the promises and his truth, coming in humility and trusting what he says. I think that's the nuts and bolts of it. But God also shares with us more in Scripture about how do you assimilate this amazing power? And he starts, as this whole idea of grace would, would show us, he starts with this humility and this contrition as we approach our God. And so it's where we admit this lack of power in our own selves. And it would seem like that would be such an easy thing because there's so many things that we can't control. But why is this so important? Because inexplicably, one of our major problems is, is that we think we're omnipotent. We think we're God, that we can handle anything, do everything. And if you don't believe me, just look at your schedules. And then I'll just ask, who do you think you're kidding? The schedules that people are keeping today is insane. I look at parents, especially at the, I look at myself, actually. We're going from school to swim to, 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 to work to, to do, and then just kind of mixing those all up 50 times a day and just, we're just always running, always doing things. And I think we have it bad. And then I listen to people at the club, the swim club, and they're doing two and three sports. And I don't even know how it's physically possible, actually, when you add up all the time. But people are living lives that are just nuts, thinking they can do everything, thinking that there isn't consequence. Someone once said, if you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. That's true. And so God says you need to admit that you need him. You need to admit that you need Jesus. And if you're missing that, you're missing a huge part of the Christian life, right? We come here and we, we worship him. We, it's not just to give thanks. It's to say we need you. Not just your forgiveness, but your help and your strength and the hope that you give and the difference you make. And we need to admit that we need more of God's power in our life. Because clearly we do not have enough by ourselves. We run out of it all the time. And yet we keep trying, though, don't we? We come out of high school and college believing that we can take on everything, do anything. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you hit the midlife crisis. And have you ever thought what the midlife crisis is? It's just a waking up to your limitations. That's what's so defeating by it. Realizing that we're not God, realizing that we can't control everything, realizing that we're not going to reach every goal that we set in life, realizing that the, we're never going to make as much money as we thought we would, that we're human, that we have weaknesses, that you're getting older, that your hairline may be receding or your hair might just be disappearing, all those things. It's when you wake up and realize that you're a little bit weaker than you thought, that you're running out of energy. Paul talked about this one time in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. God said to me, where there is weakness, my power is shown completely. Therefore, I have cheerfully made up my mind to be proud of my weaknesses, because they mean a deeper experience of Christ's power. For my very weaknesses make me strong in him. God's just saying you need to admit that you need him. That there is a power reservoir there that you can tap into that can keep you going. We need to admit that we need him so that he can empower our lives in different ways. To admit that we need 
him to be in control. And when we can get to that place of just being honest with ourselves, essentially, and with him, he says, okay, now I need you to believe. And it would be that faith part. See, the key to personal power in in your life is faith. It's nothing else. It's faith. And faith is just another word for trust. We need to trust what it is that he said. In Mark 9, 23, Jesus says this, everything is possible for him who believes. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus says again, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. And if that's true, and it is, let me give you two questions to think about this morning. They're a little bit condemning as I ask them, but just I want you to ponder them. The first one is, what are you expecting God to do in your life right now? I say it's somewhat condemning because sometimes, oftentimes, the answer is nothing. <laughs> I got it all under control, God. I'll come to you when I need you. So I'll ask it again. What are you expecting God to do in your life? And the second question is even harder, but it's this. What are you expecting God to do through you in your life right now? It means for the benefit of others. We're so narcissistic so, many, so, often, so much of the time that we just, we fail even to think that things go outside of ourselves, that we should be living our lives for the benefit of others at all. And I ask that because God says he works according to our faith, to our trust in him. And since God has unlimited power, he also says we should not limit him, right, because of our expectations of him are so low. But that's exactly what we do. We limit God by our own belief. Someone once said that God has given us this atomic bomb power, but way too many of us are living firecracker lives. So as just an example of this, one of my prayers is that in the next 30 years or so, God would use St. Mark in such a way that we would reach 100,000 people for Jesus. And you say, 100,000, Pastor, how about just 1,000? Maybe, maybe just 500, that seems like more realistic. You know, let's, let's just shoot for that. But I'll just say, what difference does it make with God? Is one harder than the other? When he can speak things into being? No. It's not harder for him to raise 100,000 people in North Phoenix than it is for him to raise 1,000. So why don't we start praying for something that's actually big? And the reason I think we don't is because we don't really believe he can do it. Or worse, we don't even want him to do it. So the issue really becomes our faith. What will we believe in him for? So let me ask you a different question. What are you willing to believe in God for in your life? We all have need. We all have struggles. We all have difficulties and problems in our life that we don't have the answers to. What are you willing to believe in God for? Because if you want to see God's power in your life, the prerequisite, if you will, is that you have to trust. You have to actually believe. And as James says, faith without works is dead. And so he brings us to another kind of level, if you will, or another way of of enhancing this. And it's this. We need to learn to speak in faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul says an interesting thing. He says, with that same spirit of faith, that trust, we also speak because we believe. In other words, we must verbalize our faith. We must announce what it is that we're intending and trusting God to do. You must not just think about it in your mind, but you must announce it. And before you get all crazy with this, isn't that what a goal is? It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief. This is what we hope God is going to do. When I set a goal, I say, God, help me do blank by blank time. Goals are simply statements of faith. And the size of your goal determines the size of your God, how big you'll let God be for you. In fact, show me what your goals are in your life, and I'll tell you what you're believing in God for. 
Many of you are waiting for God to do something, waiting for him to do this amazing miracle in your life, trying to trust him with all you got, but you're short-circuiting it by your mouth. You're believing him in one place, but through your denying and negating and through your complaints, you're, you're throwing it away in another. I'll give you some examples of this that I heard in the last month. Uh, yeah, I believe God's going to save my marriage, but my marriage is just the pits right now. Yeah, I'm really praying that God will heal me. I just don't think I'm ever going to get better, though. Yeah, I want God to change my life and help me break all these bad habits. It's just the way I am. Never going to change. And we speak out of both sides of our mouths, not usually at the same time, but minutes, hours, days later. You're short-circuiting God's power in your life by your mouth. Remember, Paul says that nothing is too hard for him. Do you believe that that's really real? Can you trust it in your life? So he says, speaks because you believe. And yet sometimes words are just words. And so he brings us to this final part, which is act in faith. And this is really vital. And a lot of people miss the point here. But he's saying you must step out in advance before the power is released. So often that's just the way he works. He wants to see that you believe first, that you're trusting first. God wants you to take action even before you feel anything. Somebody once said, you mean I have to act as if I've got the power, even though I don't have the power in order to get the power? Yeah, that's called acting in faith. You act as if God is going to provide. And when you step out in advance before you even feel it, and we live in a culture that feeling is king, but when you act out in faith even before you feel it, God sees your faith and so often acts. So don't wait for a feeling. In fact, if you only pray when you feel like it, Satan will make sure you never feel like it. You need to do things that you know are right even when you don't feel like it because immaturity is living by your feelings. Maturity is living by the things that you know are right. Give me an example of that. A few days ago, I was walking people through the story in the Old Testament about Joshua people of Israel, they're going to go in the promised land. But God kind of leads them along this path and they're looking at the Jordan River and it's during flood season and it's hugely wide and the water's just rushing down. And, and, the, and the idea is that there's no way you can get across because you just get swept away. It was too deep. It was moving too fast. There was just no way to get across. And yet God says, go. In fact, he says this to them. He says to Joshua and the leaders of Israel, Take the leaders and put them out in front. I like that. If they're going to talk so much, put them out in front. Make them do it first, you know. Take the leaders and put them out in front of the people and tell them to walk into the river. After they begin to walk into the river, I will dam it up a little way north and the waters will recede and you'll be able to walk across on dry ground. So trusting that, it says the leaders began to walk into the river. And can you just picture the scene? This water's up to their ankles, and then it's up to their knees, and then it's up to their thighs, and they got to be thinking, man, I don't, I don't know how, how much longer I can keep doing this without getting swept away. It says they kept walking. Joshua 3, it says, when the priests put their feet in the water, the Jordan River will stop flowing. The crazy thing is that it did. They acted as if the water would part, and it did, according to God's word. God released his power. Again, the amazing thing to me is that God actually wants to share his power with us. He wants to use it to help those who trust in him. And so I just want you to try this for a moment. I want you to think of a person in your life that's hard to love. Or a person that you find it hard to be patient with. Or a person that you don't even like, that you don't even want to be friendly to them. And then I want you to do this. 
I want you to say, how would a loving person act toward that person? See if you can come up with a response. If I were patient, how would I act toward that person? Or if I were friendly, how would I act? And once you got that down, I want you to start acting as if you're loving and patient and friendly, whatever, to that person. And then step back and watch. You'll be blown away by the power God gives you to do just that. You'll be blown away on how it changes your heart and changes your perspective. And once we change, guess what? People start changing around us as well. It will blow your mind. And that's an example of living by faith or living in faith. And the more we start living in faith, then not only will the blood of Christ remind us that we're loved and forgiven by this amazing God, and that's so often where we just end our trust in him, but remind us that no matter what happens in our life, that we have a God because of his power that has this ability to make the impossible things in our life all of a sudden very possible. And if we really believe that that is real, <laughs> and we start trusting and operating our actions and the way we operate and walk through life, believing and trusting that that is real, I promise you it will change your life. And that's a good thing. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much. And, you know, as we talk through these things, Lord, it's, it's a challenging thing to, to take these things that we know in our heads are true. We know you have power. We, we don't ever question that. We see the miracles. And yet when it comes to our own life, for whatever reason, we don't, we don't go to you much to ask for it. Sometimes we go in presumption or sometimes we ask the things that aren't helpful and we forget that you're a father in heaven, but even if we're honest with ourselves, our fathers usually give us what we want unless there's reason not to have it. Father, you're the perfect father. You desire what is good in our life and you continually call us to call on you, to call unto you, and that you will answer. And the only time you don't is when what we're asking for isn't for our good. And then I guess our trust is to look for the thing that is to come next that's even better than what we're asking for. It's a hard thing to wrap our minds around, Lord. But it's the truth of your word. It's a thing that you've called us to trust. So help us to trust this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.